0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Nobody is getting away with any. nobody, regardless of how invincible they might seem at the moment or how powerful or how arrogant or how unable they are to be stopped by any reason or by any mandates or any treaties or any uh, force nobody's getting away with anything.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on the book of Nahum. Now here's
1: Pastor Brian. we are going to study the book of Nahum, which is just three chapters, and Nahum means comfort. That is the prophet's name. And it's interesting because the comfort that we're going to see ultimately in this little book, the comfort is the result of the judgment that God's going to bring upon Nineveh. The comfort is going to come through the defeat of the oppressor. I think again, you know, as we're just thinking about these things and talking about these things, there's plenty of parallels that we can see as we look at this little prophecy. So, like Jonah, Nahum was called to pronounce judgment on Nineveh. Nineveh, of course, we are probably mostly familiar because of the story of Jonah. We looked at that together. But the first mention of Nineveh is in Genesis chapter 10. And the city of Nineveh was built by Nimrod. And Nimrod also built Babel, or what would become known as Babylon in this place called the Plain of Shiner, which is that particular region there. Now, Nimrod, he's, he's referred to as this, this man who was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And most people agree that it wasn't that he was uh, hunting game, but he was a hunter of men. He was a tyrant. He was a great rebel against God. So he built these cities. Like Babel, Nineveh was always a place that was given over to idolatry, violence, and oppression. So that's just kind of the way the city was from its earliest stages. And you can understand that when we make the connection with the person who built it so it's it's a it's uh the the city itself is just a a manifestation of resistance to god and his ways the city of mosul many of us have heard of the city of mosul because of all that's happened in iraq over the years with the various wars and things like that uh the city of mosul is in that very region where ancient Nineveh was. So northern Iraq, the city of Mosul, Nineveh, we're talking about the same geographical uh, region there. So Nahum prophesies about a 100 years after Jonah had visited Nineveh, perhaps during the reign of King Manasseh. Maybe you remember the story of King Manasseh. King Manasseh was the son of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the better kings, one of the best kings in the southern kingdom, but he had this incredibly evil son named Manasseh. Manasseh was not only the wickedest of Judah's kings, but he also reigned the longest. He reigned 55 years. Man, could you imagine? Like, thank God for four-year terms for politicians, right? But I mean, it's kind of like, like a Putin thing, right? Putin went in. He was elected. And for a couple of years, they went through the process of just having normal elections, and he got reelected. And then finally, he just decided, you know, I just need to be in this role forever. And so now he's been there for a few decades. And so this happens over and over again. Well, in the Jewish monarchies, you, of course, were a king for your whole life. And so Manasseh reigned for 55 years. So it could be that it was during the reign of Manasseh and there's a passage that, that seems to hint that maybe that was the case. Listen to this passage here. It says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. So in in the records of the Assyrian kings that are in various museums around the world, in one of the records of the Assyrian king, it states that he brought Manasseh before himself to deal with him over a particular issue. He doesn't say what it was. But that's in the archaeological findings from that region. So perhaps that is the case there. So during the reign of Manasseh's father, Hezekiah, the one we just mentioned, Sennacherib was then the king of Assyria. And we, we read this story in Kings, we read the story in Chronicles, and we read this story in Isaiah as well. And this was when uh, Sennacherib and his armies, they came, and they were basically seeking to conquer Jerusalem. And they had, they had conquered 46 cities in Judah, and now they were besieging the, the city of Jerusalem, and um, Sennacherib, he's the king, and then there's the rabshakeh who is coming, and he's speaking on behalf of the king, and he's telling the people of Judah not to trust Hezekiah. Hezekiah is telling you to trust the Lord. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to lead you astray. The Lord's not going to protect you. The Lord actually sent us here to destroy you, And and then he says this. He says, and How's the Lord going to protect you? Think of the gods of all of these other nations, how they haven't been able to protect their people. So you think the Lord's going to be able to protect you? And this Rebshekah and Sennacherib together, they're mocking the God of Judah. And they're comparing him to the other gods. And they're basically saying, we're going to do to you just what we've done to these other nations. And we're going to trample your God under our feet, just like we trampled their gods uh, under our feet. And so this, this is all kind of the, the background of, of Nineveh. And it's interesting. I think it's in Isaiah when the Lord is, begins to pronounce judgment on Assyria. He says, shall the ax boast against the one who wields it? And then the Lord goes on to tell him, you know, you've just been a tool in my hand. The reason you conquered all of these places is because I was using you to do it. And now you're boasting against me. So so there's this history of this arrogance and this hostility to the people of God, but even to the Lord himself. And so it was at that time when Sennacherib's armies had surrounded Jerusalem, they had besieged it. It was at that time... That uh, word came to Hezekiah from Isaiah that the king of Assyria will not step a foot in this city. He won't even shoot an arrow into it. And that seemed impossible. But on a given night, we're told that the angel of the Lord went through the camp of the Assyrians and slew 185,000 men. And with that, uh, the king of Assyria went back, he went back to Assyria, Sennacherib did, and he was actually murdered by his own sons. So all of that just kind of background on what's happening here. So Nahum's prophecy is about the coming doom of Nineveh. Like I said, this is, so with Jonah, we saw that there was a temporary reprieve and judgment because the people repented. But 100 years have passed. I mean, you know, 100 years is a long time. And so they're back to the way they've always been. And so the judgment is going to come down. And in 612 BC, Babylon conquered Nineveh and swallowed up the Assyrian Empire. So... Assyria had dominated Babylon. That's why the king of Assyria took Manasseh to Babylon because they ruled over the whole region at the time. But then as as Nebuchadnezzar came to power, he ended up conquering Nineveh in 612, and that basically ended the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is another reminder that God will judge evil and repay with wrath those nations that reject him. And we've said this before, but I think, again, at this time, it's just a good reminder. You know, nobody is getting away with anything. Nobody. Regardless of how invincible they might seem at the moment or how powerful or how... Arrogant, or how unable they are to be stopped by any reason, or by any mandates, or any treaties, or any uh, force, and they just go on and on in their rampages, and and you think that wow, they're just they're getting away with it. No, nobody's getting away with anything. I just was listening to a podcast on Mao Zedong and the millions and millions of people that that man was responsible for their deaths through initially the communist revolution in 1949 and then there's this famine that follows it because of their policies and 30 to 40 million people die of starvation in China as as a result of their policies and then Mao leads this or inspires this cultural revolution in the 1960s goes on for about 10 years just murder mayhem you know he was the one whose philosophy was was all about power and power was in the barrel of a gun and you know you look at the you know whether it's a Hitler or a Mao or Whoever there's so many in history, and you can put Putin in that category now as well. But you know these people who have absolutely no concern for life—they they they would just just put a gun to your head, pull the trigger, and then sip their coffee and never think twice about it. You know, they just took a human life. But there's a day of reckoning coming. See, they 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 might get away with it for a while. But, you know, think about all those guys. They're all dead. And I can guarantee you that it's not good for them now. And I can also guarantee, I was thinking about this the other day, and I just had this thought like, Lord, I'm sure that the punishment will fit the crime. You will deal with, with these people, these kinds of people, you will deal with them accordingly. And everybody will look on and say, that is just. That is right. So, you know, sometimes we need to, to comfort ourselves with this reality. Paul put it this way: some people's sins precede them to judgment, the sins of others follow afterward. So some people, it's just obvious, like, oh man, their judgments judging be so great. But sometimes we don't see. It's hidden. It's not so well known what they're doing, but what they're doing is still evil, but God knows and God sees. And, you know, this of course is, is one of the, the big reasons why people want to try to dismiss the idea of a God because if there's a God, there's accountability, you know, Marx was famous for saying that uh, religion was the opiate of the people. You know, meaning just, you know, religion just gets people to a place where they just, they're not thinking and so they can be controlled. And, and that, you know, that's what they saw the, the religious institutions doing. It's, you know, cre- the opium's creating a... a a delusional kind of a view of things and a non-reality and all of that, Marx, religion's the opiate of the people. John Lennox says that atheism is the opiate of the people because atheism says there's no God, there's no judgment, I can do what I want, I'm never going to be held accountable, nobody's ever going to make me have to pay for what I've done. I'm getting away with it all. That's delusional, as Lennox says. So I like the way he turned that around. So in Nahum, so just as we look at these chapters here, and we will do that really briefly, uh, in Nahum, God is seen as a powerful but caring warrior Protective of his people and angry with the w- wicked, he is good to those who look to him for refuge. And it's funny because this, I mean, this whole thing is basically just judgment. But then there's a couple of little sentences that are reflecting on the goodness of God right here in Nahum. So in the three chapters, basically you've got this. Chapter one, you've got Nineveh's destruction being God's plan and something that is certain. So again, think about Jonah for a moment. A hundred years earlier, God says 40 days and, and then comes destruction. But that is reversed. God doesn't destroy the people. But now, at this place in history, the judgment is certain. There's no way that it will not fall upon Nineveh at this point. there There is no turning back. There's no third chance, fourth chance. There, This is the time when the judgment will be meted out. And so look in chapter one, it really expresses that the best in verse 14. It says, the Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your God, I will prepare your grave for you are vile. So this is it. There's no hope now at this point. The second chapter is talking about the judgment in general, but more specifically, it's talking about the the judgment being thorough, being complete. This this is going to be a judgment from which Nineveh will never recover. And that is history. They never recovered. They never again became anything like they previously had been. And look at verses eight through 10 here in the second chapter. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. I don't know if you've noticed this when you read through the prophets. The prophets have this amazing way of illustrating by observing things around them that everybody would understand and know. Just, you know, common kinds of things I think of like the passage in Isaiah, it says that um, the people, they, they pull iniquity as with a cart rope. And you could just picture, you know, this group of people with a wagon load of iniquity and they're just pulling it along. And there's all these different kinds of pictures that the prophets use. And they're good preachers. They're, they're communicating with people in ways that they would totally get. And, of course, Jesus did this, especially when he was using parables. He was just telling stories that everybody would be familiar with, and then he was making spiritual application to those stories. But this here, I, I mean, can you picture this? Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. You got a pool with a drain and no plug, it's going to be empty really quick, right? That's Nineveh. That's what's happening. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasure. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble. Every face grows pale. Wow. Wow. So this is the the kind of judgment that's going to come. It's going to be a thorough judgment. And verse 13, the Lord says this, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. Not a place anyone would ever want to be, a place where God is against them. And then the third chapter, and really in the final verses, it shows us that Nineveh's judgment is... Retributive. So God is, He is paying them back for the evil that they have committed. Look at verses 18 and 19. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? So all of this is coming upon them as retribution for their endless cruelty. Now, we, I think we've touched on this before because, of course, we've talked about the Assyrian Empire. But the Assyrian Empire today, anybody who studies Middle Eastern studies, this is the first thing they'll tell you about the Assyrian Empire. The cruelest the cruelest people that ever lived, the Assyrians were. In the records of the Assyrian kings, they talk about how they would deal with their enemies. They would cut off their noses, cut off their ears. They would, um, they would behead their, um, their enemies and they would stack skulls up in pyramids in front of the city.
0: For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. Have you ever resolved to repent from a sin only to be crushed and condemned by defeat later down the road? Or have you ever been hurt to the point that the wounds never just seem to heal, even years later? Well, one of the problems that Jared C. Wilson will help you to recognize is that unhealed wounds are not sin. And sin is not a simple wound from which you need to be healed. Jared C. Wilson shows how discipleship can be messy. This isn't a typical Christian self-help book promising to help you become a better Christian. This is a book about discipleship that puts the gospel front and center to help you sustain ongoing growth in Jesus by the same grace that saved you. In his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Jared C. Wilson will help you experience the grace of God in a practical way that will impact how you live as a Christian. Today is the day to finally learn how to live in the grace of God. Learn today about God's transforming grace. The book, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you,